Next thing I look for in a major market is major employers. I would much prefer to be invested in places where I think that those companies are going to be around for a very, very long time. Welcome to Hardly Working, a podcast about how we can improve work, life, and everything in between. These are recordings from live conversations on Fishbowl, a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can join us live next time on the Fishbowl app. We have events every day. All right, let's get right into it. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name's Anton Mortel. In this Fishbowl, I'm going to talk to you guys about buying your first rental property. A little background about me. I started investing in real estate in college back in 2017. Uh, started with 40,000 bucks, bought some rental properties in Memphis for 30 grand, renovated them, rented them out, uh, put a property manager in place, turned around, refinanced those houses, and uh, kind of scaled that up into a small family portfolio. And then at that point, you know, my family and I had kind of ran out of money. We had about eight houses. I didn't have any more money to continue buying more. We were making a few thousand bucks a month on those eight houses. We didn't have enough money to continue buying anymore. So what did we do? We started selling those houses to friends and family members uh, so they could come in and buy those properties from us. Uh, we could make a profit, take that profit and go do more houses. And you know what we realized was there was a lot of people, a lot of friends and family and people we knew that wanted to get into real estate, had a full-time job, didn't have the time to do so. And that's when Martel Turkey was born. Now we've scaled up that company since you know 2018 or so until today. We're doing anything from 30 to 50 homes a month that we buy, we have rent, and sell to our clients. Now, obviously, this isn't about this isn't just a sales pitch about Markle Turkey. I want to show you guys and tell you guys um, how you can go out there without buying turnkey rifles. That's obviously an option uh, if you're a busy professional, which many of you are. Mark Alternity could be a good fit, but let's say hypothetically you wanted to go and do it yourself. You wanted to go find rental properties out of state. I'm assuming many of you live in places that are way too expensive to buy locally. So for the next, I don't know, maybe like 20 minutes or so, I'm going to tell you how I would go about buying rental properties right off Zillow and Redfin, right off the MLS, um, and how you can do that out of state while having a full-time job. All right. So. Let's talk about a couple of different things. First of all, why you should look out of state, how to find a market, how to find rentals in those markets, what to look for in a rental property, building your team on the ground, funding those deals. And then I'll talk about the bird strategy a little bit, and then we'll kind of open it up to Q&A. So I don't want to talk too long. I think the Q&A is, last time I did this, it was like over a thousand people and uh, the Q&A was the most important part. All right, cool. Let's get it going. First and foremost, why the hell should you look out of state? For me, when I first started, I was in California, which I assume that many of you are also in California or an expensive market like New York or Seattle or, you know, even Austin, Texas. Now you're in one of these expensive markets. And the thing that I look for is called the 1% rule. And the 1% rule is a great rule of thumb to figure out if a market is going to be cash flow positive or not. If properties in that market are going to make positive cash flow. And what does that mean? That means when I buy a house, I have the rent, taxes, insurance, property management, debt service. Am I making profit on that property or not? Am I making $200 a month or $600 a month or am I losing money every single month? And a good way to figure out if the property is going to be cash flow positive is by using the 1% rule. What the hell is 1% rule? 1% rule is a rule of thumb to figure out if the property will cash flow or not. 
So for example, if a property in Cleveland, Ohio for a hundred thousand dollars, you want rents to be 1% of that number, a thousand dollars a month, that property will cash flow. And you can get that all day long, right? In the Midwest, Memphis, Cleveland, St. Louis, Detroit, you can buy houses for a hundred thousand bucks, rents are a thousand dollars a month, you have taxes, insurance, property management, debt service, and you're going to make two to three hundred dollars a month of that rental property, making you a 10, 15 percent return on your loan. All right. That's one of the reasons why we look at a state because that one percent rule is possible. In expensive markets like California, right, where the median home price is a million dollars and rents would have to be ten thousand dollars a month to make any kind of profit, any kind of cash flow in those houses, right? And that's not going to happen. A, a million dollar house in California is going to rent out for 4,000 bucks a month, 5,000 bucks a rent. You're right. So you're, you're not even close to the 1% rule. And that's why properties don't cash flow highly in those markets. Another thing that I look for. And one of the reasons why I like investing out of state is landlord tenant laws. Again, if you live in an expensive market, uh, most of the time, the very expensive markets also don't have the laws, the right laws for real estate investors. All right. They're going to be very, very tenant friendly. Again, perfect example, California and New York, the two worst places to own real estate and own rental properties due to the fact that you can't get your tenants out. Or if you could, it's very, very difficult, very expensive. It's very, very tenant friendly. All right. These places in Memphis, Tennessee, I can get tenants out in 30, 45 days if they don't pay. So on the fifth day of the month, would they give them a three-day notice to pay your leave? If they don't pay after that, you set them to court have a court date one to two weeks later at the court date, the sheriff, they have a sheriff date where the sheriff will go to that property and you can get them out. So choosing the right state for business, that's best for business is going to be very, very important when you own and start buying more and more rental properties. Some of the great things about investing across the country is lower property taxes. Unlike some of these places like California and New York, where property taxes change when the property is sold. That doesn't happen in the Midwest, in these other Midwestern or Southern states. Normally they have property taxes adjust every few years. So they're not adjusting every single time a property is sold, which is also another, for example, like my houses in Memphis, Tennessee, I'd probably be like a thousand dollars a year property taxes, maybe Ohio, $2,000 a year in property taxes for a hundred or hundred or hundred fifty thousand dollar property. Now that you know why to invest out of state, we're going to talk about how to find a market. How the hell do you choose which market you should be investing in out of state? And one of the things you can do is just follow the big bits to go find some people like me, find some hedge funds, find some turkey providers, picks and flippers, some people that own a lot of real estate and see where they're buying. They obviously have done a lot of their research and you can kind of skip that part of the process. But one of the things that I look for is the 1% rule. So there's a good website, investor-list.com. That could be a good website you could check out. You can go on that website, filter out all the different states that are landlord friendly. You can adjust the, the filters for all the different markets across the country, all the different cities across the country. It has data and statistics on all the MSAs across the US. And you can go make filters about average home price, median home price, median sales price, median rent, rent to value ratios, all that kind of stuff. So that's one website I would check out. And there's a couple of things that I look for when investing in a market out of state. First and foremost, I want a population for that city to be over $200,000 people. I don't want to be investing in really small cities. Immediate home price. I want immediate home prices right below $150,000, kind of a good immediate home price. Immediate rents. I want immediate rents to be close to 1% rule. So like if 
immediate home prices are 150K in these markets. I want immediate rents to be very close to $1,500 a month. And all this data and information can be found online. All right. Next thing I look for in a major market is major employers. So not only do the numbers make sense in that city, you know, to have really good rent to value ratios, but who are the major employers? What are those major employers? Is it, you know, is Blackberry the biggest employer and Yahoo the biggest employer? That may not be a good sign. I would much prefer to be invested in places where I think that those companies are going to be around for a very, very long time, right? So for example, uh, Memphis, Tennessee, one of my markets, we have FedEx headquarters, Nike distribution facilities, Amazon warehouses, international paper. So there's a lot of big brand, big companies that I think are going to be around for the long run, especially FedEx. And I know I got some questions. So if you have questions, I'll uh, let everybody in. So just, you can shoot me a DM. Uh, right now, just click on my base and then just shoot me a message with your question if you don't want to forget. And I'll go through, we'll just do like a long Q&A after I get through all this. All right, so major employers. Next thing I look for in a market is the diverse economy. So I want to make sure essentially that I'm investing in a place that has a diverse workforce. Uh, and the way you can do this is by going online and typing like Memphis, Tennessee, diversity of workforce. I want to be, oh no, type the city and then type economic summary. And it'll come up with a little PDF about that place. I don't want to be investing in a place where 80% of the jobs are at FedEx or, you know, all the jobs are in one sort of industry. Because if that industry were to crash or crumble, I'm going to be screwed and I'm going to be holding the bag and I'm having nobody wanting to live in my properties anymore. All right. So that's something that I would look for, just investing in a place in a city that does have a diverse economy where there's multiple different uh, industries that are all equally uh, distributed. Something else I look for is colleges as well. So making sure that there are like higher education institutes in that city. Uh, now, once I know the city, once I pick part of the city, I like to dive a little bit deeper into that city. So let's say you do all this stuff, right? Like you find median home prices below 100K. The rent value ratios are good. You find a city that's, you know, has a stable population, stable workforce, diverse workforce, right? So you find all these things. Now we need to dive a little bit deeper into that city and figure out where in Memphis should I be buying those houses, all right? And you can do this by doing a couple of things. You can go look at crime maps and owner occupancy maps on these cities, and you can figure out which cities have low crime and which areas have which areas within that city have a low crime count and which areas in those cities have a low low rental occupancy rate. So I like to invest in owner-occupied neighborhoods. They tend to just be way less transient. They also tend to have way less crime because if you have you know high owner occupancy, there's you know, low chance that they're going to break into their neighbor's house, whereas everybody's renting, high chance that people are going to just break into everybody's house. They don't care. They're very transient. They're in and out of that city, in, in, in and out of that neighborhood. So low pride. This is also comes into, into play in building the team, which I'll talk about later, and finding a really, really good property manager company on the ground. The property manager, once you choose that city, the property manager is going to make sure that you don't invest in these high prime neighborhoods because they're on your team. They want to make sure you're having success uh, with your investments in that city. So they're not going to point you into the wrong direction so that you're buying houses in the wrong neighborhoods. Now, once we've chosen that neighborhood, how do I find rental properties? So for many of you listening who, you know, maybe, maybe have no rental properties, maybe have a few, maybe you want to invest out of state. How do I find rental properties? I think right now, the best way to find rental properties, if you're just getting started and you don't want to do a turnkey rental property, you want to do it yourself, is I would just find houses on Zillow. That's going to be the easiest place to find these properties. 
And you can go on Zillow Redfin, you know, right now as I'm talking and go find houses for sale, click on any random city. For example, let's just do uh, Memphis, Tennessee, set a filter for houses for sale below 150,000 bucks. Uh, open up another website called rentometer.com. Look for houses for sale that look clean, safe, and livable. Go on rentometer.com, copy that address, and rentometer is going to tell us what that house will rent out for. And I would highly just recommend buying these houses off Zillow and Redfin for your first few, finding a local property management company, putting that house into rentometer, figuring out what it could rent out for, and just making offers and getting conventional financing on those properties. So that's what I would recommend. I don't think when you're first getting started that you should get into the whole like wholesalers thing. Many picks and flippers um, and big real estate investors need to find more volume of deals. So they use what are called wholesalers, which are pretty much people that go around, which are pretty much people that go around putting deals under contract and sending them over to you. Uh, so I wouldn't recommend getting into wholesalers. I think when you're first starting, just buy houses right off the low and redfin. Right now we're buying like 30 to 40 houses a month. I would say 60% of those are coming right off Zillow and Redfin. So you don't need to do anything crazy to find deals, especially today, especially today with the real estate, the real estate market, the way that it is, there's just a lot more inventory sitting on, on the market. So that's all I want to talk about for finding the deals. Now, what do I look for in terms of buying the rental property? So if you copy that strategy, you want to go on Zillow and Redfin, you build a team, you choose a city, what kind of returns could you make in today's market? So I think that you should be looking for a property that's anything from like seventy-five to $125,000 that can make you a return of anything over 10% cash on cash return. So you buy this property, put 20% down, 3,000 bucks closing costs, you're all in for, let's just call it 25,000 bucks. And I want you to be making two to $300 a month on that rental property every single month. That's gonna give you a return of over 10% cash on cash. So that's kind of, what you could be able to find in the market even today, especially if you you're cool with you know being a ROI of like ten percent, get a ton of deals right off Zillow and Redfin that are already renovated, already ready to go. You just have to put a tenant in place on that property. So those are the kind of deals that I would probably just be targeting, especially if you're first getting started. All right, now I think we're going to get into building your team. So if you're Never invested before. You do some research, choose a market. Now, who the hell needs to be on your team, right? A couple different people. The most important person that you need to find on your team is going to be your property management company. How do you find that property management company? Let's again, Memphis, Tennessee, go on Google, Memphis, Tennessee, property management company. That's it. Now, I want you to go call every single property management company that you see there. And you're going to say, hi, my name is Angel Martel. I live in San Francisco. I want to buy houses in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, do you absolutely that could make offers for me? I'd like to clean up those houses. I'd like you to rent those houses for me. And hopefully I could scale this up to buy a few homes a year. How does that sound? Right? That's the kind of conversation that I would have if I were in your position. And I want to get into my first rental property. There's probably only maybe 20. I know a lot of people don't like cold calling, but it's probably only going to be 20 companies. Okay. And. 90% of them are not going to answer the phone call. So you're only going to talk to a few people. And out of those you know, three people you talk to, one of them is really going to vibe with you. You're really going to have a good talk with that person. It's going to be one or two companies, maybe three companies if you're lucky. But that's typically how it works. I've done this for, for many, many times, built teams in 10 different cities. 
And I would use this property management company as your hub, right? So if you need anything then in that market, you need a realtor, you need a photographer, you need an inspector, you need a lender. This property management company is going to be connected to every single person in that market. Now, what should you look for in a property management company? The first thing is not the price. Most property management companies will charge 10% or less. Many of them don't charge anything over 10%. If they are, something's out. Most of them will charge you fees on, you know, leasing out the property, first month's rent. The fees are obviously typically very, very typical for many different property management companies out there. But there is a couple of things that I would, I would make sure of. So when you're hiring a property manager, make sure they manage over 200 doors and make sure that they manage, they use a property management software. Make sure that they are not, I had to call somebody, oh man, two weeks ago in Detroit, property manager. I have to what software can use for uh, sending me my invoices every month if I wanted to use it for property management. And uh, he said, uh, Excel. So you don't want to use Excel as a property management company. There's so much accounting, so much bookkeeping that goes into property management to make sure that the owners are getting the right disbursements every single month. Make sure they're using a professional property management software. Those are going to be like Veldium, Appfolio, Profityware. Those are the big three property management softwares. Again, I don't have a rush to do this, but shoot me a DM, just click on my face, shoot me a message, uh, and I could circle back to anything. Uh, I just want to get a really high level overview and we can have a good QA. All right. So that's going to be choosing the property management company. And that's really all you need to just buy a rental property without the renovations. That's really all you're going to need to get started uh, is finding a great property management company. They're going to be the key to all of this success that you're going to have. They're going to be that be the key to your success out of state. All right. And then for your first deal, I honestly would do anything with like heavy renovations, maybe like 3000 bucks renovations, but don't get started with a heavy reno renovations out of state, 3000 miles away, just add more and more complications. And honestly, if your goal is to just take your money and use your job to allow you to get financing, to buy these rental properties, don't do something with a heavy renovation. You can buy something for a hundred thousand bucks, put three grand into it, and it's worth one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. And you just made ten thousand dollars out of thin air. Obviously, you probably wouldn't be able to sell it for a few months. Probably need to just season that property a little bit. But you just made it in ten thousand dollars out going through that whole headache of managing construction projects out of state, managing a dashboard, tracking GC bids and invoices, and photos, and walkers, and all that kind of stuff. So don't get into that yet. I would just start by five rental properties straight off Zillow and Redfish that are ready to go. And many people too, at this point, you're like, well, Antoine, what about the realtor? How do I go and make these offers on these properties? And I would just most hard. So most property management companies need to have a licensed realtor on staff to sign leases with tenants. So boom, there you go. You call all these 10, 20 property management companies, ask them, hey, you have somebody on your team that could submit these offers for me? Yeah, of course we do. We have a you know three or five realtors on payroll on staff, right? So use those people to send out your offers on the properties that you're interested in buying. Once you're under contract, send out the property manager. Just work with that property manager to make sure that everything looks good with the property, with the inspection report, with the market rent, with what they think I can rent it out for, the rehab bid to clean the property up, professional photos. They're going to be your main source and main driver. And it's super nice because now you have everything Everybody under one roof, right? So you have everybody in that property management company. You don't then need to coordinate stuff from 3,000 miles away. And I've seen this happen many times where somebody's at LA or SF and 
they want to buy houses in Memphis and they, you know, find a realtor from this company, a property manager from this company, uh, and then a contractor from another company. And then they're like, Hey, can you three work together? Never works. Never works. You're trying to build these brand new relationships while you're the glue to this relationship and you're thousands of miles away, right? Doesn't work. Next thing, funding your real estate deals. Two ways to fund them. Uh, for those of you that do have a W-2 or 1099 job, stable income, which I think is going to be most of you in this room, conventional financing is going to be the way to go. These are just your typical loans that you can get from Wells Fargo, Bank of America, right? So these are all Fannie Mae approved. Uh, these are loans that are sold to the federal government after they're given to you. These are going to be your cheapest, best loans. They do investment property loans. You put 20% down, a couple thousand bucks in closing costs. So you're all in for right around twenty, twenty-three thousand dollars. All right. So these are the best loans you can get. Right now, interest rates are at six and a half percent. And that's going to be the best interest rate that you can get on a rental property if the loan amount is below a hundred thousand dollars or close to a hundred thousand bucks. All right. Second option is called hard money or asset-based loans or DSER loans. There's everybody has uh, private money. There's a million different ways to say it. But all of these people, like this is for people that don't have great credit, don't have W-2, don't have 1099 income. Maybe you're self-employed. You've just started your own company, right? Which may be something you in this room as well. You could still get financing on these properties, just going to be a little bit more expensive, sadly. The kinds of lenders that do this is going to be companies like Corvest, uh, Lima One Capital, uh, Kiavi, which I would not recommend, but there's a bunch of lenders that do this as well. You just type asset-based loans on rental properties, DSCR loans, rental properties. Again, if you have any questions, shoot me a message uh, and I can circle back to anything. But those are the two ways that I would go about funding your real estate deals and funding your rental properties. I would highly recommend getting 30-year terms, 30-year loans on all of these rental properties. Don't get it adjustable or anything like that, especially with the way the real estate market's going right now. All right. I think that is all. Last but not least, I want to talk to you guys about uh, the Burr strategy. So if you are interested in real estate at all, you may have heard about this strategy, which is called the Burr, B-R-R-R-R-R. And what it means is buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. All right. So this is exactly how I started. Bought a house for 40 grand, renovated it for 5,000 bucks, all in for $45,000, rented it out put a property manager in place, and then refinance that property. And what it allows you to do is kind of get into deals with less and less cash. I mean, that's what it's supposed to do. So for example, you'd buy a house for, in today's numbers, this is, that was 2017 numbers, but today, let's say, house for a hundred grand, you buy it, you put 20% down, so you're all in for $20,000. Let's just make the math easy. Then you spent five day on renovation, so you're all in for $25,000. Due to that renovation, the house is now worth $120,000, let's say, magically. That a year later, you would go and refinance that property. You would get, you would refinance. So they'd pay off your old loan. They'd give you a new loan. And now you would be able to get some of that money back. So you're all in for $25,000. Let's say you refinance it. You're able to get half of that money back, right? So you have now $12,000 left of the deal. You get a check for $12,000. So that's a good strategy. It's a little bit more advanced. I probably wouldn't recommend that right now, uh, but I just wanted to throw that in there that it is a, strategy to use when the interest rates are good, when the interest rates are stable. Not the interest rates aren't good now, but the interest rates are just unstable and the interest rates are climbing. Um, so it wouldn't be a good idea to do a bird strategy right now, but you could think about that 
just like the cherry on top. For example, you guys go buy a house in Memphis for 100K, you put 20K down, 5K reno, and then a year or two later, you can do the math and be like, if this is worth 130 later, I can refinance it at 75% lower value. I'll able to I'll be able to pull somebody out and that's going to be you know a fantastic return for me. All right. With that being said, that is all that I wanted to talk about. Now, obviously, the last last thing, if you don't want to do all of that, is we could help you get into your first rental property with Quantal Turkey. It's just done for you. So you don't have to go through all of those steps. We can help you buy rental properties out of state. They come with property management, tenants in place, financing in place. The houses are fully renovated and occupied. So that's kind of a done for you solution. And I can help you guys also in this chat. If people want to start raising their hand, it's asking that questions or it should be a DM if you want something more private. So yeah, let's get it going. Let's open it up to Q&A. Please raise your hands if you have anything. And I'll also go through my passages as well. Do you think Austin is oversaturated? For sure. Austin is way, way too expensive. Nothing cash flows in Austin, Texas right now. So I definitely wouldn't be investing in Austin, Texas. What was that website? Uh, it's investor-list.com. What do you think about St. Paul or Minnesota, the state in general? Yeah, I don't know much about Minnesota, but I think that it's pretty landlord friendly. Of what I can remember. I don't know. I would have to do more research on it. Are there any like cities or states that you really like that aren't already covered by, by Marshall Turkey? <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's so many houses out there. There's no competition. That's why I don't care where I say where I miss. I'll tell you the exact zip codes I buy. I mean, it doesn't matter because there's so many houses. You can go pull up Detroit right now and there's you know six thousand houses available to sale you know below three hundred thousand dollars it's insanity so there's plenty of houses to go around so i wouldn't be so worried that ortel turkey is in a certain market or anything like that some of my favorite markets right now my top four is cleveland memphis st louis and detroit the hardest place to get started right now is probably memphis but they probably have some of the most uh sophisticated property management companies Detroit's super easy to find deals. I could find all of you, all 300 of you, a house in the, over the weekend and send it to your email directly. But it's harder to find great property management there. So there's pros and cons to, to every single city that you go into. Cool. Thanks. You got it. Somebody said, how about Chicago downtown property? Thinking of doing a condo. So the problem that with Chicago is it's, again, landlord friendly. So I tend to stay away from those uh, landlord landlords states. Hey, yeah, I'm not sure if this is uh, applies in in the U.S. markets or not. But let, let's say you, you perhaps one of these people that doesn't have good credit yet, and you could perhaps buy in cash. Is it easier to get a mortgage um, if you're kind of refinancing after paying uh, in cash the first time round to, to purchase the property? Yeah, good question. The answer, uh, sadly, is that it's way more risky to do that. So to buy a house in, uh, in cash and then refinance it later, it's really risky for a couple of reasons. Interest rate risk. So you buy today, interest rates today are six and a half percent, right? The Fed has a meeting next week where they're planning on increasing interest rates. Will that affect mortgage rates? Who knows? I think the meeting's next week, it's next week or the week after. But you have interest rate risk because you're going to buy some houses. You're going to run your numbers as if you could refinance it, right? But you don't know exactly what the interest rates will be. You don't know what the house will appraise for, which is another problem with refis. 
on a refinance, the lender doesn't tell the appraiser what the home is worth or what they're trying to refinance it out for. Whereas if you were to buy a property, the lender tells the appraiser, hey, this house, you know, the contract is for 100K, you know, see if the house is worth 100K, you know, double check us kind of thing. So it's just a lot more appraisal risk. So for example, you could buy a house cash for 100K in Memphis. You could try to go refinance it in three months or six months because most banks are going to require a seizing period, which means you have to be the owner of that property for a number of months. And within that time, interest rates could play. And you could go ahead and do the refinance at, you know, a seven and a half percent interest rate. Then the house only appraises for $70,000. And now you have like this 50% LTV loan at super high interest, right? So the deal's not going to make much sense anymore. So you would almost have to be happy holding it attached, which, you know, it's not going to be a good return either. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. So I'm really new to the space, but I have a question. Say if you have a couple, uh, like one or two friends, right? who, you know, you guys think, hey, like, this is a great way for us to build a business together and go in on our first home. How would you set that up, right? So it's to our advantage. I I assume you'd put it in an LLC, but I'm not sure how you get loans that way, et cetera. So I don't know if you've run into this with any of your clients or people you've worked with asked. Yeah, great question. So one of the easiest ways to do it is, all right, let's say you would Two of your friends have 10 grand each, right? So you guys together have 30,000 bucks. What you could do is go buy a house for a hundred, $130,000. You guys could each put $10,000 down. You know, you'd be 20% down plus 20K. Let's just say plus closing costs, you need 30K. So you and two of your friends would go put 10K down into the house each. You'd split profits into three different ways and you can go buy a property and all three of you could sign on the loan together. So that's one way that I've seen like friends do it or family do it, or like people that are really nervous to get into their first deal. So they don't want to spend 30 K they want to spend 10 K. That's one of the ways that you can, you can do it. Thank you. That's really, really helpful. So how does that work? They just check all of our credit together. Uh, correct. They would do individual credit and what they do is actually take the average just to make sure that the average, and then based on the average of all three of your guys' credit scores, that's the kind of like what you may put you at based on the average. All right. Would you have to set up like a, a legal entity, like an LLC to do that or? Depends. If all three of you have W2 and 1099 income, you can actually get a conventional loan and you guys can all three sign in your personal names on the conventional loan. If one of you is a business owner, one of you maybe doesn't have W2, uh, one of you maybe has poorer credit, then you can like go to Lima One Capital, which is like hard money lender essentially. And then you guys can make an entity and buy the house in that entity and just have like an operating agreement that says you guys all own a third of the company. So there's multiple different ways to do it, depending on the list. And the reason why I say entity for legal one and not for conventional, you can't get, get a conventional loan with an LLC. It has to be in your personal name. Got it. Got it. Yeah. It's very overwhelming for someone who's trying to get in. So, you know, yeah. $10,000 is kind of, you know what I mean? It, it's a little bit more digestible when you're just kind of getting your feet wet and kind of learning. I get it. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, and if you have a group of people that you're you're close with and you trust mm-hmm. and you and you feel comfortable putting together that agreement in place, I, I think it's exactly. a win-win. Yeah, and even if you just, yeah, I definitely agree because like a 30k doing everything yourself is like, oh my god, what like 
yeah, if something happens with the property, you guys need to split a split a five thousand dollar expense. It's like, okay, you know, fifteen hundred bucks each. It's not too bad. Uh, so yeah, I totally get it. Thanks, Antoine. You got it. Good luck, Jonathan. What's up? Hi there. Um, so I was hoping you could speak a little bit about the difference in the loans between the conventional and potentially an LLC, particularly how much you'd be able to put down if you were to have uh, LLC, or even if you were to go around of buying it through a trust. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, buying it through a trust and buying it through your personal name, you can get conventional financing. Conventional financing, you the minimum to put down is twenty percent. If you want to do an LLC, those lenders that were that will let to an LLC are probably going to ask you to put up close to thirty percent. It's going to be anything from twenty five to thirty percent down. Oh, okay. So, um, I mean, I've heard some people talk about how they've got rates at say uh, or having to put down ten percent or fifteen percent or whatnot. So um, I was hoping like you could explain the risks that are associated with putting down that less amount in the beginning. Yeah, I don't know any lenders today that would do it unless they're going to charge, you know, super high points and super high interest rates. So anything below 20%, they're going to make their money somewhere else. So I wouldn't recommend anything below a 20%. It's going to be very, very expensive on the back end. Got it. Thank you. Hey, Antoine. Great presentation. Thank you. What do you think of the Raleigh, North Carolina market? Yeah, I like it. I haven't checked prices there in a while, but I think they're pretty expensive. Uh, I do think it's landlord friendly, but I last time I checked, which was a couple of years ago, it was pretty expensive to get out there. Like, I think, in the, yeah, $1,000, it's hard. So, like, all right, my buy box is below 150K as the highest cash flow. So, if I can't get into a market that has a ton of houses below 150K, I stay away. And I'm looking at Raleigh right now. And in the city, there's nine houses available for sale below 150K. That number should be 300, not 10. Gotcha. And what do you think about renting to students? I mean, because I live in a university area and so it's kind of more rural. So I live like like 30 minutes away from Raleigh and so I can rent that in a cheaper area. What do you put your thoughts on that? Yeah, I've never done it before. It does work. I like that you're local. That adds a lot to it as well. Like even if you can buy some houses in Raleigh in a, you know, close to a student area, that's definitely going to increase your returns because you can rent it out per bedroom, right? So if you want to do that, it's just going to be a little bit more management intensive, obviously, because most property managers don't want to deal with that uh, unless you can find one that like focuses on student housing. But you you just may need to be a little bit more uh, involved in the property management side. Gotcha. Thank you so much. You got it. How about paying all cash? For property, do you recommend? Would you recommend creating an LLC? So, all caps, I answered that. Would you recommend creating an LLC to invest? It depends on your lender, honestly. Uh, and who the lender is, will they allow you to buy the house in the name of an LLC or not? Hey there. I hear your strategy on how you want to do this as far as the, the amount of money back you get uh, from a cash flow perspective. How do you layer in the um, appreciation of the property? Different areas have different appreciation levels, right? Yeah. So I don't factor appreciation into my numbers at all. 
for me, appreciation is just going to be the cherry on top to everything going extremely well. If I've had appreciation of maybe like eight to 15% for the last couple of years, which is fantastic, but it's not in my cash flow numbers at all. For me, I focus purely on the cash flow of a property. How much is that property going to make me on a monthly basis? Appreciation is really hard to quantify because it, appreciation of I buy a house for a million dollars, it appreciates to 100K leading to a, uh, you know, a million, 1.1 million. I can't do anything. Like I can get a, maybe I can get a loft or do something like that. There's not much I could do with appreciation. So my pure focus is on cash flow. Uh, and I don't really focus on the appreciation. All right. Uh, Sydney. Hi, I wanted to know what you thought of Philadelphia and Jersey. Uh, all right. New Jersey. Please don't invest there. Jersey and uh, New York, very, very, very tenant friendly. You said Philadelphia? Yep, Philly. Philly. I think I did a couple houses in Philadelphia. I do like. I think that you can get some good houses and also some more affordable neighborhoods in Philadelphia where you get some houses below 150K. I'll look it up right now. Yeah, I do like Philadelphia. I think that you could really make like. It work in Philadelphia. Oh yeah. What I learned about Philly was that it's very, very block by block. Do you live close to Philly? Yeah, I used to live in the city, but I'm trying to look up properties a little bit outside of the city because it is definitely like block by block or area by area. It really ranges. Correct. Yeah, correct. So if you are like still local to it, I think it could be a great play because all right, for like an out-of-state guy like me, I, I just moved to Miami. So I live in Miami. I'm investing in Philadelphia. Uh, I call a property manager. They're like, Antoine, it's very far by block here. So you have to send every single house to us. So we'll tell you if it's good or not. It's like, Jesus, I just put all the power into like this guy's work, right? Whereas for you, you know, you can go look up these houses, go, you know, open Zillow and, you know, take your car and drive around every single neighborhood and figure out, man, this property is like, one block away from XYZ, it's on a good street that's converting over. There's like five houses under construction. This is a no brain, right? So like you have that cider information, I guess we could call it, uh, to pull the trigger on this house uh, versus me. I have none of that data. Like I would have to be there physically. And so honestly, like all the places that I invest in are not block by block cities. They're zip code by zip code cities. So I could take that whole zip code in Cleveland. <laughs> A whole city in Memphis, like whole suburb in Memphis, and everything is the same. Crime is the same. The occupancy rates are the same. The rents are the same. So those are the places that I focus on just because it makes my life a little lot easier. But if you could have that advantage, you could be local to Philly. I think it was like not so tenant friendly. I think it was like a mixture between tenant friendly and landlord friendly. It was right in the middle, which is fine. So yeah, I do like Philly. Awesome. Thank you. So I wanted to ask you, so I know when you were talking about the conventional loans and having a job W-2, I wanted to ask you, because I know that small business owners like to do LLC because it has protections for them. So what would you say about like doing that without having the protections? Like what kind of protection would you be able to do if you do the W-2 route? So if you do the W-2 route, you get a conventional loan. There's two ways you can do protection. One of them is you buy the house in your personal name. You quick claim it. You move the property to an LLC the day after you close. Conventional lenders really just want everything to line up on close today. 
After that, you could change the property over to an LLC and then boom, you have the LLC protection. That's option one, which is not the preferred option. Preferred option is what I do is I keep the house in my personal name and I get a general liability insurance policy on my entire portfolio. It costs a few hundred dollars a year. It cover every single rental property you own and it protects you up to a million dollars in liability coverage. Uh, the great thing about that, tenant sues you, you have a million dollars of coverage per incident. You can get sued every single day for up to a million dollars and it only costs you a couple hundred bucks a month and insurance takes care of it. Problem with LLC is if you were to get sued, you still have to deal with it. It's not like uh, if some insurance policy is going to come and save you. So I prefer to do the insurance policy. The most protection is going to be getting an LLC and the general liability insurance policy. Also gives you some anonymity um, when dealing with, uh, you know, people trying to sue you and stuff like that. I do have a couple of investment property here in Atlanta, and I've been thinking about doing out-of-state investing, so this presentation is super timely. And it does sound like uh, what really makes or bridge your experience investing out-of-state is going to be a property management company. And I was going to ask you if you have recommendations uh, on property management companies that you've used in the past uh, that uh, an out-of-state investor uh, that's a beginner can take advantage of in those four cities that you said were your favorites. Good question. Why do you want to invest in the state? Why not uh, just keep going with what you have in Atlanta? The housing market is crazy. Things are so yeah. expensive. Just like you said, you cannot find any house that's below one hundred fifty thousand right now. And the ones that are currently in portfolio, like three hundred to hundred, and I think it makes more sense to diversify. Um, you know the savings that we have to be able to invest in those houses. I got you. For my four cities, the ones that are going to have the most property management companies is going to be Cleveland, Ohio, Memphis, Tennessee. The ones that I use don't really matter. Again, I would just look online, type up those cities, find the best property management companies and call them, tell them who you are, what you're trying to do. For me, for my business, it's going to be a little bit different than you all are going to do because I need a way, I ask way more from property management and I almost like partner up with property management, like hire people on their behalf uh, that I pay for. So it's just going to be a way different experience. Um, but I'll call them and say, hey, I'm Danny, I live in. Atlanta, I have a few rentals here. I'm interested in buying houses in Cleveland, Ohio, or Memphis, Tennessee. You know, can you help me make some offers and help me, you know, manage these properties and stuff like that? That's kind of what I would do. And you'll be able to find, in those two cities, you'll be able to find a, a good property management company uh, relatively easily. Yeah, that's super helpful. I, I just don't like the, um, that I'm hearing that, you know, out of like all the people that you contact, they probably get like 90, like 10%. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I thought maybe having a recommendation would be better, but thank you, you know, so much. <laughs> well, it makes, it makes the calls go quicker because you got 20 dollars and you, know, you get through 18 of them in, in two minutes. So, yeah, yeah, not too bad. <laughs> you got it. How about South Florida? I live in Miami. Yeah, Miami is not below the 150k mark. It used to be any place like above 150k average home price is going to be good for fixing flows. What do you look for? Multifamily? Oh man, that's a that's a whole other presentation. Sorry. Uh, but multifamily right now is uh, way too expensive. I did some multifamily in the last couple of years. I sold all of them just because I got some insane offers. The cap rates uh, on rental properties are super compressed. Very, very expensive. So I don't think that multifamily makes much sense right now. And I'm talking about like 20 either the apartment buildings or greater. 
Do you think Austin's oversaturated? Yes. I would not be buying in Austin, Texas right now. So you mentioned um, owner-occupied rates, crime rates, and states that are tenant-friendly. And instead of asking about another specific market, like how do we find out those three things? I looked on some first crime maps just now, and they all seem to be selling something. And, you know, maybe two of them would show relatively different crime rates. I'm thinking there's got to be a reliable source, either one for like the whole country or city-specific. And what does tenant-friendly kind of really mean slash landlord-friendly? The landlord-friendly, obviously, that's all ambiguous, right? So the landlord-friendly, you can go pull up some maps. It will show you like the most landlord-friendly to the least landlord-friendly. I would be anywhere in the middle towards the landlord-friendly side. I just don't want you to be in the middle or to the to the left, to the tenant-friendly side. That's kind of how I would just pull up a map like that, and that's going to kind of share with you, yeah, which is the most landlord-friendly versus tenant-friendly. You want to be somewhere in the middle, hopefully leaning more towards the landlord-friendly side. Crime maps. Uh, so Trulia used to have a really, really good crime map. They would have it for every single city. Um, but they recently, I don't know what happened, but they recently got uh, removed. Um, now there's another website that I use, which is crimegrade.org. Uh, and that will show you kind of crime maps for many different cities. You could just open up that website. You could type in any zip code and it'll pull up some crime maps for those areas. Uh, what about owner-occupied rates? That's something that's easy to find, or is that more? Okay, so owner-occupied, there was a website. It was an investor list, but you should be able to find something about owner-occupancy rates per zip code. It is definitely in a census bureau, which is census.gov. It's just you want to go through all that kind of uh, paperwork. Let me look on my computer and see if I can find out that, what that website was, that had owner-occupancy rates. I think with this information, we, we really can kind of figure out market with just this information, yeah. right? Yeah. And then, well, I mean, obviously, then you want to figure out like the median home price, median sale price. So there's a lot of digging on on that kind of aspect. And that all that information is on investor-list.com. Hey, Antoine, thanks for the presentation. It's been really good. I just had a question about like researching like first time home buyer programs. I just was curious, like what's your experience with that and what's the best way kind of to go about researching those programs? So FHA, are you buying a house locally? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like near the Salt Lake City area. Yeah. So if you live there, you could just walk into any bank, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, wherever you currently have a bank. Most of them are going to have an FHA loan program. You could just walk in and talk to a rep about that. Right. So you're saying like, it's usually better to do that research with somebody on hand at the bank going through like an online program. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely would do it with somebody local, especially because you're probably it's going to be a house you're going to live in. So I would definitely just do it with somebody local that you could go, go feel in touch. And, uh, I would just walk into a local bank and do it that way. Cool. Thank you so much. You've got it. Um, Suave, I found the, uh, website. It's called city dash data. Dot com so you find a owner occupancy uh, rates by zip code on that website. Awesome. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, sir. You got it. What do you think of Seattle suburbs? Uh, yeah, Seattle is going to be insane. It's not going to make sense to buy rentals there. And rents are, yeah, rents are super high, but I, it's going to be really difficult to invest in Washington.
Philadelphia. Yes, I like Philadelphia. You could start with a duplex or triplex. Yeah, I mean, you could start with a duplex, triplex for your first one's property. I don't see a problem. One thing that I really look out for when investing here is houses that are overpriced. You know, we're especially now for investing out of state, we're looking for houses that are that are turnkey and ready to pull them. Um, some people just, you know, slap paint on the wall, some hardwood on the floor, and list the house for a hundred thousand dollars more than it's worth. If we're doing out of state investing, how do you suggest, you know, we keep an eye out for houses that are overpriced where you don't even get any equity to begin with? My thing about that, like buying houses or overpaying for houses, if you like buy houses with conventional loans up front or financing up front, you're never going to overpay because the lenders are going to send out an appraiser out to that property. The appraiser is going to validate and verify that that home has worked that amount of money, right? So you don't really need to be so worried about that. That's more for like a fix and flipper issue, right? So where the fix and flipper buys the house cash. They buy for a hundred, they spend 50 K on reno and hope and dream that their house is worth 200 or 250 after. That's their problem. When you're buying rental properties, like you said, turnkey or, or ready to go, the bank's on your side. So you buy a house for a hundred K, the bank wants to make sure that their 80 grand or 75 grand is protected and that house is worth that amount of money. Uh, so that's where kind of like buying with financing upfront is going to really save you from overpaying. Yeah, that's what makes sense. What really makes me weary is before you get to that appraisal point, you probably already like are out of escrow and probably already paid money for uh, inspection and just spent a lot of money up front. So I don't know if you have like techniques that you use to, to just like look at the pricing before you even like get into escrow or before the bank sends out an appraiser to do an appraisal. Yeah, anytime you're making offers on deals, it's going to cost a little bit of money. You can always do the inspection after the appraisal. You can make your offers contingent on an appraisal, which is what I do. So like if I'm buying a house conventionally, I'm going to be like, hey, I want a 30-day closing or 45-day closing on seven days of due diligence. The inspection only costs like three or $400 to get the inspection back. You'll get that back. If that comes back terrible, just walk away. It doesn't matter what the appraisal is. If the appraisal comes back on day 20 and it comes back 10K below, Boom, there we go. Perfect. I don't want the house to appraise. I would love it if the house didn't appraise. The reason why is I could now go right. and be like, hey, uh, you're going to need to drop this price down by 10K. Oh, I've always split it down a little. Cool. You just saved $5,000 off that house, right? And now the numbers are flying off the off, off the piece of paper. So yeah. that's you use it as leverage. Your contract needs to be, if you're getting conventional financing, and your, your agent should write it up this way, but they're going to be contingent on the appraisal, the whole appraising. You don't really have to worry about that so long as your your agent is submitting offers in the right way. Yeah, this is this is so great. Like being here in Atlanta and making here in Atlanta, I actually forgot that you can make an offer to be KTJ up with financing or appraisal <laughs> because the market is so competitive that any offer that has is is not an option. So that's really good to know. Thank you. Yeah, you got it. Norris. Hey, Antoine, two questions. Any tax strategies you use to minimize rental income? All my rental properties, I don't pay any taxes on the rental income. You never really will. Due to the fact that you're going to have depreciation, interest payments, maintenance, all that kind of stuff. So cash flow on rental properties, you're never going to have to pay any income tax on that. Capital gains tax, when you sell a property with renovation, that's where it gets complicated. You could try to do some creative stuff like you know, doing long-term capital gains, which saves you a little bit of money in which you have to own the property for over a year. You can do a 1031 exchange. 
There's lots of creative things you could do, but honestly, with us selling so many houses a month, doing a 1030 exchange wouldn't really make sense. So we don't really uh, focus on the capital gains tax all that much. What's the time investment for once you owe for you once property management company? All right. So once you have a house, how much time does it take per month to manage that property on an ongoing basis? I think that if you have a rental property, it's already rented out, all that stuff, it's going to be like one to two emails a month. If that, that's going to be a bad month, there's going to be a few emails where you have to approve a work order, tenants not paying, you have to approve a all that good stuff, which hopefully uh, doesn't happen to you. All right. Going through some more. Hi, how about the tax aspect? Wow, well, the tax question. Tax aspect of investing in rental properties. Do you have the property manager do those for you? So the property manager will not do taxes for you, but at the end of the year, the property made oh, that's why she's an accountant. The property management company will send you at the end of the year, like a profit and loss statement. You'll pretty much print that out, email it to your CPA. And you just send it to your CPA and be like, hey, my name is Antoine, I bought her. You send it to your CPA and the CPA will do all the math for you. And you'll tell him that you bought a rental property, him or her, that you did a rental, that you bought a rental property and here's all the profit and loss statements and all the mortgage payments. At the end of the year, the, the lender as well, the conventional lender, the hard money lender will send you a, a piece of paper as well, showing how much principal you paid down, how much interest you paid down. And you essentially take those two pieces of paper and hand it to your, to your CPA at the end of the year. They take care of it. Oh, what's the best site or software you use for tenants? to pay you on a monthly basis. I don't do any of the property management. The property managers handle that one. Are there a set of questions that you should ask the tenant before signing? Again, I have property management handle all that kind of stuff. I don't want to be in the process of going through tenant stuff, verifying their income, checking how much, how much they make, calling their employer, checking their credit score, background checks. I don't want to get into that side of the business. I'd rather just focus my time on buying more houses and finding more houses. Could you also touch on what you think about suburbs near Chicago City? I don't know which much Chicago, but I know anything in Illinois is going to be really bad for the landlord tenant laws. So I tend to stay away from Illinois. And talk live, there's four questions. What's a good owner occupied rate? I'm guessing 40%. Correct. Uh, 40% or higher um, is going to be a good owner occupied rate. What are your thoughts on Baltimore? I like Baltimore, it's a good city. Definitely inexpensive. It is a little bit landlord friendly, however. Figure on how much rental management companies charge. Property managers charge you ten percent of monthly rent. Rent is a thousand bucks a month. Property managers make a hundred dollars a month. Could you also touch uh, thoughts on Dallas, Texas? Dallas is good as well. Texas is a good market. Just check the property taxes. Property taxes in Dallas, uh, Texas in general are just insane. Uh, so just be careful when investing in anything like Texas. Uh, if nobody else has anything else, I'm getting some messages slowly. But Baltimore is a little landlord friendly. Yeah, Baltimore is a little bit landlord friendly, but it could still be a good market. What I do to like double check the landlord friendliness is I just want to figure out if a tenant doesn't pay, how long does it take to get them out of the property? So if you're in a New Jersey or a California or a New York, it's going to be a long, hard process to get them out. And if you call a property manager and they're like, yeah, it takes 45 days to get them out. That to me is like very, very landlord friendly. Um, so that's going to be a great market to invest in. Uh, whereas, you know, New Jersey, California, New York, are very tenant friendly. And I want to kind of stay away from those places. Well, thank you all for coming. I appreciate you coming. I'm probably going to come back and do one of these in a month or two. 
again, if you want to reach out to me, please hit me up on Instagram. It's my last name and my first name. So Martel Antoine, if you guys are interested in any turnkey rental properties, you can shoot me a message uh, or go to the website, martelturnkey.com. My last name, turnkey, T-U-R-N-K-E-Y. Yeah, thanks so much for coming. I appreciate it. Feel free to shoot me a DM. Uh, I do reply to all my messages. So go hit me up on Instagram. Thank you so much for coming. See you on the next one. That's all, folks. Thanks again for listening to Hardly Working. Join us live next time and talk directly to the speakers and, who knows, end up here. Fishbowl is a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can download Fishbowl on the App Store or Google Play. If you want to host a Fishbowl live event, get in touch at live at fishbowlapp.com. See you soon.